Hello and welcome to the Pre-Raphaelite podcast brought to you by the Pre-Raphaelite Society. Today we're joined by a very special guest. We're joined by Marina Alfick and Marina's a figurative portrait artist. She works mostly in textiles. Uh, she was introduced to drawing and sewing very early on by her parents who both worked in creative fields. Discovering Batik in the 70s allowed Marina to harmonise her drawing skills with textiles. Marina studied at Goldsmith College in the 80s when figurative drawing was not fashionable or encouraged. She was inspired by the 1984 Tate exhibition, The Pre-Raphaelites, which inspired and reinforced her determination to create art that was true to nature and beautiful. Throughout her working life, Pre-Raphaelite art has influenced her working style. Marina currently makes art muse dolls, many of which are pre-Raphaelite and inspired by the women in the paintings. Each one is created as a portrait. Um, Welcome to podcast, Marina. Hi. Yes. Hi, Carl. Thanks for this opportunity for me to talk about my muse dolls. No problem. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about your early involvement in the arts? Because reading your Bio, it sounds fascinating. Sounds like you've been involved all of your life. When when did you first start? Well, um, my involvement started as early as I can remember, really. Um, Drawing, sewing and doll making have been interests of mine since childhood. Uh, I grew up in the 1960s, early 70s London with artistic parents who worked in graphics and fashion. Um, They provided me the perfect early environment to become a creative person. Um, I had easy access to bright marker pens and other drawing materials, and there were art and illustration books to look at and be inspired by. So I had freedom and choice to learn and experiment in a variety, a variety of media. At seven years old, I was given my first Singer sewing machine, the old fashioned hand held version. And I was eager to experiment and create. At the time, my mum was teaching fashion at St Martin's School of Art, and I was given offcuts and interesting scraps of fabric, always in dazzling colours and modern prints. Um, I was captivated by the process of designing and making all types of soft toys, clowns, animals, with my continuous supply of cottons, belts and slinky fabrics. It was the start of a consuming passion which would always compete with my love of drawing and later on batik. Uh, It was at school when I was about 12 that I was introduced to batik and it instantly thrilled me. Batik, for those who don't know, is a wax resist dye technique that has been practiced for over 2000 years in Indonesia and China. It is a method that is worked in stages and can be used decoratively, which is how it was used traditionally, or figuratively to make detailed lifelike compositions or batik paintings and portraits, which is what I tended to to do with it. I, I chose to focus on batik all through my art school years and beyond because it enabled me to combine my interest in drawing, colour and design, and allowed a figurative painterly approach to textile art. I think that is uh, 
sort of explains my my early years. And um, how did the doll making come about? That's fascinating. Well, to start with, it was something that I experimented, sort of played with in my teens. I learned to make my own patterns and construct different body parts and shapes by trial and error. I actually made rag dolls to commission, working to individual requirements of hair colour and dress style. And it, it was a fun way to make extra pocket money at the time, alongside my pencil and batik portraits. But uh, moving on to why I'm making the art dolls now, um, having been a professional artist for over 30 years, working as an illustrator and fine artist, my return to the doll as a basis for my art was triggered by losing part of my central vision. Oh. It came on suddenly as a result of a drug that I'd been taking for 22 years to help with lupus symptoms. The drug left scarring at the back of both eyes, producing scintillating blind spots, which are still with me and unfortunately irreversible. I have learnt to, to cope with it, although to begin with it was quite devastating. It took away my capacity to work directly from life and my ability to drive, so commission portraits became impossible and my confidence ebbed away. But after a while, I revisited my, my history of having made three-dimensional shapes and dolls and making the muses provided a new inspiration and consolation. Um, the smaller scale and no deadline reduced the pressure, of course, and working in three dimensions was a completely different way to explore themes that inspire me. As a portrait painter and textile artist with a good understanding of pattern cutting, dyeing and design, it felt intuitive to use the doll as a medium to explore the female muse. I am now finding it an exciting and challenging pursuit, thinking of all those potential muses I could research and create. Regarding the word doll, I use the word doll tentatively, owing to its childlike domestic connotations. Possibly I prefer the term soft sculpture, although as it is, I call my dolls muses. The terminology itself is interesting to reflect on or muse on, as one considers the ways in which various art forms and media often designated feminine have been valued differently throughout history. In a way, I hope to challenge preconceptions about the medium of cloth in art while centering on the female muse as a potent, potent and compelling premise to inspire and inform and engage. So I think that's that hopefully covers <laughs> that question, but uh, maybe more than you wanted. <laughs> uh, no, that's fantastic. I, I, the Because, of course, the idea of the, the muse in pre-Raphaelitism is quite a, quite a, a hot issue at the moment. Um, yes. So, so could, could you explore a little bit about the idea of the muse and, and sort of how you use the term? Because it's not a contentious term. No. Um, There's a lot of 
dialogue at the moment about how the term is used or how it should be used what yes no you're you're right i mean it can have several meanings whether it's used as a verb or a noun obviously we all know that to muse on ideas ponder con contemplate ruminate reflect etc i mean this is something i do as i'm making my my muse dolls but as a noun it could refer to the nine nine daughters of zeus and memazine in Greek mythology, or it can be interpreted as the artist's inspiration. Um, I am aware that there are some ideas attached to the muse which are problematic. Um, Historically, there has been a power and gender imbalance between the male artist and his female model or muse. These models have often been depicted as beautiful yet subservient women in art. Through my research and artwork, I I aim to bring out the courage and character of each muse, her own story shaping how she is portrayed. Um, As an artist uh, and a woman, I feel strongly, strongly and emboldened by that idea. Yes, it is a a tricky subject, I know. Uh, And and it's so relevant, particularly to the pre-Raphaelite movement, I think maybe you, could you tell us a little bit about where the pre-Raphaelites fit into your 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 timeline? How did you discover them? Well, yeah, I first came across them very young again uh, because we were living in London, mm. and my parents would sometimes take us to the the Tate on a Sunday, um, and. Uh, I was I was immediately captivated by Burne Jones' Golden Staircase, yes. and uh, and of course Millet's Ophelia, and I remember seeing other other paintings by Holman Hunt and Ford Maddox Brown, but uh, they that room the Pre-Raphaelite room was was my favourite area to to look at at the time. Um, I enjoyed the luminous colour and the the intricate detail, um, beautiful design in their paintings. So I felt, yes, very inspired by them fairly early on, although I hadn't yet, you know, figured out how to to interpret that inspiration through my work because I was still very young. But around uh, yeah, 1981, I think I bought the, the Pre-Raphaelites book by Christopher Wood, mm. and that became a bit like my my Bible. So I started looking at the images and and thinking that perhaps I could use my drawing skills and, and batik to sort of emulate that. So, uh, but anyway, um, I was really excited at the opening of the Pre-Raphaelite exhibition in 1984. Um, at the time, I was in a th- the third year of a textile art degree course at Goldsmiths, mm. then for its conceptual and minimal approach to teaching art. The textile and fine art departments uh, promoted a sort of anti-art, free-for-all attitude, which was alien to my way of thinking and working. But I stuck to my guns and drew from life, creating life-size batik hangings and detailed portraits. Uh, The Pre-Raphaelite exhibition at the time gave me an inspirational lifeline and helped me to keep resolute in my work, even though I was going against the grain. 
uh, figurative art was not encouraged at Goldsmiths and my boutique paintings were disparaged. For my degree show, I made a life-size self-portrait as Ophelia in Batik, which was romantic and inspired by the pre-Raphaelites, of course, and also a broken relationship at the time. But uh, yeah, so the, the show was appreciated by visitors, but not by the examiners. <laughs> so, yes, it, 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 has, it has been an ongoing love of mine. You know, obviously I like other artists outside the movement as well but uh you know they, they have been an influence in my my works throughout my time as an artist L- looking on your website um it's not just pre-raphaelite muse dolls that no, you, you create no. is it I, i've got some some dora mar picasso's yeah. dora mar and uh, the girl with the pearl earring which is yes. the mystery to that story, which uh, I enjoyed uh, researching, as well as a Mona, Mona Lisa. She's more interesting than you, you first first think. But uh, you know, it's it's trying to find out about the real woman mm. uh, is 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 fascinating because the paintings can sometimes be, especially the older styles, can be quite stilted. You, you know, you're not you feel removed from the personality of of, of the person in the painting so it's quite quite interesting to do a bit of research and then reinterpret that face and that figure and of, of course you've done you've done this with so many pre-raphaelite muse dolls can you can you t- tell us who who you've made a, a doll well, of? I, I i have i think there are there are eight of them and you know like you say that they are an irresistible group of women to study with their interconnecting lives and relationships with the artists that they sat for. I My very first one was Jane Morris. And, you know, she was, in fact, the, the first inspiration to create muses because she's quite enigmatic. And uh, I was, you know, very excited and full of inspiration. But at that time, I was still configurating how to, how best to construct my my dolls. So I don't think she, I don't feel she was a, a total success. And I sometimes wonder if I should repeat her. But since then, I've also made uh, Fanny Eaton, who who modelled as the mother of Moses uh, for Simeon Solomon, as well as other artists. I've also made Lizzie Siddle, artist, muse and wife of Rossetti, made known by Millet's painting of her as Ophelia and many other works by Rossetti. I I include Beatrice Flaxman, who yeah. is questionable whether or not she was a pre-Raphaelite, but she modelled for John William Waterhouse, uh, the Lady of Shalott, I am half sick of shadows. Yeah. It, I just found that I his women, again, very enigmatic, and I, I wanted to do a bit of research about the models, although it is quite difficult to find out who's, who is who, because he he had a strong style and gave them a very similar look yeah. in his painting style. Um, I've also made Georgiana Byrne-Jones, who was an artist and wood engraver and, of course, wife to Edward Byrne-Jones. Mm. And she was a quiet but strong woman who in later life worked to support the interests of work, the working class and worked on women's issues, which was very modern for a woman. 
mm. of her time. Uh, Fanny Cornforth, yeah. uh, again, muse and model to Dante Gabriel Rossetti, made famous by his sensual paintings, Bocca Bacciata and Fazio's Mistress. Then there's Euphemia Chalmers Gray, known as Effie Gray, whose marriage to John Ruskin was annulled and caused great scandal at the time. But she later found happiness with John Everett Millay, Millay whom she married in 1855. And the eighth Pre-Raphaelite muse, and my latest, is Marie Spartali Stillman, oh, who was a talented artist in her own right, mm. and model to Burne Jones, Ford Maddox Brown, and the photographer, Julia Margaret Cameron. And she was a prolific painter and lived a long life. So uh, I was quite inspired by her work and and her longevity, really. Is there one in particular? No, no, well, well I, I suppose I could ask you if you've got a favourite, yeah. but I, I, was, oh. I was thinking more, is there one particular story well, that inspired that, you? Or? Yeah, that's a difficult question. She, she, really, the stories are probably more inspiring to me than the finished muses I've made, mm -hmm. but... Uh, it's a, it's a, I'm torn between two very different women who both had red hair, and that is Elizabeth Siddle and Lizzie, as she was known, and Fanny Cornforth. Mm. Um, so Lizzie had artistic ambition and her de determination to paint was strong, but uh, fraught with stress after she fell in love with Dante Gabriel Rossetti. Her life with Rossetti was turbulent and her bouts of ill health led her to become addicted to laudanum mm. and a tragic end. And in contrast, uh, Fanny Cornforth had no artistic ambition. She only wanted to love Rossetti and hoped for reciprocation. And Fanny was a working class country girl from a poverty stricken background, as we probably all know. She came to London via her aunt, who invited her to join her at the festival for Florence Nightingale's return from the Crimean War. The huge celebration took place at the Royal Surrey Pleasure Gardens in Kennington, and it was that evening that she was spotted by three, three young Pre-Raphaelite artists. Those artists were Dante Gabriel Rossetti, Edward, Edward Byrne-Jones and Ford Maddox Brown. Fanny's beautiful long red hair caught the eye of Rossetti after he craftily flicked her locks, unclipping her tresses. And it was then that he asked her if he would if she would be willing to model for him. And it was agreed after an interview with her aunt, who said she would be chaperoning her. So Fanny became one of Rossetti's favourite models for a time, and she inspired a new wave of innovative work by him. But as we know, he was secretly engaged to his first muse, the delicate and sickly Elizabeth Siddle. Inevitably, Fanny was abandoned, yet she was a resilient woman and made her own plans for her security, finding herself a part-time husband in fellow model and part-time mechanic, Timothy Hughes. So within two months of Rossetti leaving Fanny, leaving, sorry, Fanny and Timothy were married and life as Mrs Hughes was not so unlike life as Miss Cornforth. As Fanny continued to model for Edward Byrne-Jones, 
Rosetti and other members of the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood. So I suppose I, I chose Fanny because I, I love the feistiness of her. Mm. She was a survivor against the odds and a brilliant model and long-standing loyal friend to Rossetti. She mm. loved him until the end, even though he broke her heart several times. She was she was fun to make yeah. uh, and also research. Oh, brilliant. And it it's interesting because just hearing you talk, I was thinking of the term muse and thinking how it's used. And it's interesting how the muses, if we want to use the term, of the of the pre-Raphaelite artists have sort of then gone on to become the muses for yourself and are artists that are inspired by their story. It's it's sort of meta muses in a way. Do do, do you yes. consider them in that in that way? Well, it's a, again, it's a, an interesting subject because I, I I have called my dolls muses, um, but they they are an image of a muse or model, but they are also, as I said before, the the inspiration to the artist, but they're also the inspiration to me. So it sort of mm-hmm. goes around in a loop, in <laughs> yeah. a sense. Um, it's uh, yes, it it is. It's an interesting thought to to muse on <laughs> very nicely done um i was also thinking about the sort of second stages if you like so once you've created the your soft sculptures your your, your dolls then they go for a, a clothing process and a pose and a photograph and if people are familiar with your works from your website or from social media they have these really really stunning backdrops and photography uh, could you talk us through all, all of these processes well, yes it's sort of it's something that i i learned as i went along really but um uh, it is important to me it's another creative process and it's it's mainly a way of presenting my muses and with their stories on my website but uh, I sort of make photo, what I call photo montages um, using Adobe Photoshop mm. to visualize the muse dolls in surroundings that would sort of accentuate their place in time and add scope to the story that I aspire to tell. Mm. Uh, to, in- to achieve these images, I take several photographs of the doll from different angles against the whiteboard. These are then transferred onto the computer and I make them into Photoshop documents, which is what they're called. From this stage, I can isolate the Muse image using eraser tools and other Photoshop tools to lay it and lay it over a background. Uh, either this would be a photograph that I've taken or an authorised reproduction from the internet. The process is quite complicated, but I learn something different each time. Mm. And the the end result can be quite captivating, almost bringing a lifelike a lifelike presence to the the muse. It's it is quite quite good fun when you sort of sort of revisualize the, these three dimensional dolls that I've made um, in a setting that sort of puts them back in time, possibly. Yeah, because they they 
they're often presented and clothed as they were in in the portraits that or, or the the paintings should i say that you've taken inspiration from yes yes so the 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 obviously the artist's style is a is another inspiration so it's it's you know i'm inspired by the paintings that have already been inspired by the model mm. um, so you know I, I i i i research obviously and examine the images and then sort of reinterpret reinterpret them in my own way but i'm always aware of of the way they've been portrayed by the artist do you ever Sort of alter the poses or the settings to make to make your character stronger, your your muse dolls stronger to accentuate yeah. their story or their their. Yes, that, that's that's exactly it. Yes, in some cases, I've I've chosen to alter them and place them in different settings from the paintings, either to express a certain characteristic of the muse or model that I'm portraying perhaps make her theme more human is that the right way to put it or I set I set my muse in a real life environment um to emphasize the three-dimensional aspect of her um sometimes I've had people mistake my images of my muses on the website for paintings so by selecting a sort of a photograph with the muse set in it, well, I, I photograph her in a landscape and it helps to clarify uh, and give it a true scale. Yeah, it's it's playing with with images and scale. And even though I want to to put them in a setting that does accentuate who they were, who they were sitting for and, and their story, it's also quite fun to then see them hmm. standing alone. And uh, in a, a sort of up to date setting. Yeah, it's nice to keep the playful element there as well. I think. Yeah, um, it's. I suppose it is playful, and it's uh, just another way of seeing them. Well, that's brilliant. So, what, what, what's next? I mean, have you got any more muses to add to the collection? Well, there are so many. Of course, <laughs> I could I could go on if I had all the time in the world. But um, yeah. They could cover all periods of art history as well. Uh, of the pre-Raphaelite list that I have a mental list of, I'd, I'd still like to do Maria Sambaco, Holly mm. Miller, and Emma uh, Emma Maddox Brown, because again, they all have interesting interlocking stories with with artists that uh, I've studied, and also I've just started a muse and, and the research. Um, of the painter Leonora Carrington. Oh, okay. Obviously not, not a pre-Raphaelite, but a, surreal, a surrealist. And she sure. had a very interesting life and very quirky artwork. So I'm I'm sort of, at the moment, trying to think of a way of portraying her. So it's, it's all good fun. It's, it involves a lot of looking through art books and visiting art galleries and looking on the internet. So... Fantastic, and and just just ask out of curiosity: have, have you ever exhibited the the muse dolls? Have they ever been on out on display anywhere? 
Well, no, so far, none of them have been exhibited or seen in the flesh, so to speak. Uh, I've had a a few art groups or two art groups come and visit uh, as a Mm. private thing that I let them come and see. And that that was nice because it made me realise that I wasn't so I wasn't bonkers. You know, these things are appealing to people. But otherwise, no, so far, they're just presented on my website. However, I I have been approached re- fairly recently by two two artists working in ceramics and oil um, who want to explore the idea of the muse as a theme for an exhibition, mm. and uh, they are ex- they are excited about my muses and want to include them. So we we think that we could um, create an interesting exhibition together. So at the moment, we are looking for a suitable public gallery to approach, but uh, I, I, I have the work. It's just finding a place. So any ideas are welcome. Well, because you're, you're now on, on the podcast that will be listened to by people all over the world, who, who knows what will come Um You need to keep us updated on this because I'd be certainly interested in coming to see them we could organize a a trip down maybe the pre-raphaelite society yes yes well um it's still in the very early days and we're all coming from different angles the Mm. three of us and uh, we will hopefully bring something different to the show but uh, as i say at this stage we're we're not sure how it's going to look overall but it, I, I'm sure it'll be interesting because I know the work of these girls and uh, it'll be very inspiring, I think. Please feel free to get in contact and we can do, you know, when this comes to fruition and, and you're about to launch, do let us know because we'll happily have yes, so yes. yourself and, and the other artists involved. Yes. OK. No, definitely. That'll be That'll be fun. In in the meantime, Marina, where can we see your work? Uh, could you let us know your website? Uh, yes, um, at the moment it is only the website that you can see them, but uh, it's basically Marina made me. So, Marina made dot me dot dot me. Yeah, yeah, Marina made me. Oh, excellent. Well, I'll, I'll be sure to pop that in the description below and then all of our listeners can find you and we'll we'll add it into the social media as well yes good that would be great brilliant well nice talking to you marina it's been a pleasure uh, thank you for coming on to the podcast and telling us all about your creations your wonderful fantastic pre-raphaelite muse dolls that excellent okay thank you no problem anytime and keep keep us posted on any future work, any exhibition? Yes, of course, I will do. Yes, great. Thank you. Thank you all for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. And in the meantime, if you want to check out our website and consider subscribing to our journal, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.